Man, there is no place like home. Home, I've learned the older I get for different people looks a lot different. Maybe home for you was mom and dad and brothers and sisters and it was the perfect home and mom and dad never got into a fight and they never argued and man, your parents were married for 50 years and they raised you in the church house to love Jesus and man, you grew up and now you've been married 20 years and everything has went perfect in your life and you've never fought at all. Anybody grew up in a home like that? Some people do. I've heard rumors. For some people, home was mom in one place and dad in another place. For some people, home was two moms and two dads. For some place, home was no mom and no dad. Home looks different for everyone. But at the end of the day, home is always home. It's the place that you never need an invitation to go. Home's that place that you're accepted. It's the place that... If you've been gone five years, 10 years, 20 years, you're still not a guest. It's, it's home. You just feel comfortable when you get home. And though we may wander off from home, we may forget about home, we know that home is always there when we're ready to return. I love that song. I love everything about that song because they say a church takes on the personality of a pastor. They say, normally the type people sitting in the seats are drawn to the person on the stage because they relate in some way. So what that means is, in a church like this, many of us left home for various reasons. Probably not good reasons. At the time, they seemed like great reasons. We thought home was the worst place in all the world. But we come to that realization that when life happens, when life hits us, sometimes you just want to go home. Home's an amazing place, and there's a great feeling to know that we can always go home. Now, the reality is, as great as home is here on earth, there's a lot of people that can't go home. Sadly, all the things I said about home, about it always being accepting and always being loving and always being the place, no matter the situation where the memories happen. The reality is in the world that we live in, it's a sinful world, and that's not always true. Sometimes the worst place to go home to is home. We're not talking today in the natural. We're talking in the supernatural, and we're going to be looking at a story that talks about that heavenly home that we can always go home to. No matter the bad experiences that we had here on earth with this home, there's a home that's created for us. Before Jesus left, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I'm done, I'll come for you. I don't know about you today, but I find great peace in the fact that there's a home that we can go to. No matter what type of poor decisions I make, no matter what kind of heartache I create, no matter what path I head down. It's good to know that our Heavenly Father has created a home for us. And he talks about that in my favorite chapter in all the Bible. And if you've gone here for any length of time, you've heard me preach on this. Because it's hands down what I have built my mission in life around is Luke 15. He's teaching and Jesus is doing as he would do. He would teach and crowds would gather around and 
as he would begin to teach, a lot of people who didn't have religious background would hang on every word that he had to say, and he would take the, the biblical teachings of the time, and he would teach them in a way that the common man could understand, because the religious of the day loved to complicate the Bible. They loved to talk over the people's head. That way, the people needed the religious leaders more than they needed God. But Jesus came along, and he began to teach a message that everyone understood, love God and love people. And he began to take illustrations from the day and time, and he would weave them into biblical truths. And the people were mesmerized by his teaching. And the Bible says over and over, there was multitudes of people, and large crowds followed him. But as any time he would begin to teach, and any time the crowd would gather, the religious of the day would also gather. The religious hate when you take the Bible and make it available for all people. Let me repeat that because that might be something you've never heard. I said the religious hate when you take the Bible and you make it available for all people. They love to say that it's for all people. What they really mean is it's for all people if you look like us and love like us and act like us and cross your T's like us and dot your I's like us, and everything that we do, you do, then it's for you. Or you follow our rules, or you follow our standards, it's for you. But Jesus came along and said it's for everyone, and the religious leaders would come along during the day, and they would begin to ask Jesus questions while he was teaching. They began to interrupt him, and Jesus was a patient man. Can you imagine you trying to ask me questions while I'm teaching how that would go over? Wouldn't go over good. I'm into one-way conversations. But Jesus was patient. He would listen to the religious leaders knowing that their motives were not pure. Knowing that they were trying to trip him up. And the Bible says in Luke 15, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Does anybody find it ironic that there's two classifications of people here? There's sinners, that would be everybody. And then there's the IRS. <laughs> A whole other group of people. It's like, they're not even classified in with the sinners. It's like the sinners, and boom, the, the, the IRS. They're gathered around, the non-religious of the day. They were gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious teachers of the day, the religious leaders of the day, and the teachers of the law. The law was the Old Testament. It was the Bible of the day. They muttered, and they always mutter. Anybody ever been around someone who mutters? Don't act like you don't know what muttering is. This is North Georgia. That's when they don't have the guts to say it verbally out loud where you can hear it. So they mutter it under their breath. But they begin to mutter, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. They thought they were too good to be around sinners of the day. So they begin to mock Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. I would probably done one of two things. I would have A, ignored them. Or two, I would have confronted them in a very bold way. I know you find that surprising about me. Jesus doesn't either. He's like Yoda, man. He just goes into a story. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus just goes into a story. And, and what's amazing about Luke 15 is he doesn't go into one story. He goes into two stories. And he doesn't just go into two stories, he goes into three stories. And back to back to back, he tells stories 
three different stories, one biblical meaning. He begins to tell a story about a, um, about a lost sheep, about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And the Bible says that one of the sheep got lost. Now, he still has 99 sheep. But he leaves the 99, the story says, and he goes and he looks for the one sheep. And he does whatever it takes to find the one sheep. And when he finds the one sheep, he puts it on his shoulders and he brings it back to the other 99. And he calls his friend and says, man, that sheep I lost, I found it. Because the lost sheep was more important than the found sheep. He knew where the found sheep were. He knew the found sheep were safe. They were protected. But the one sheep... And then before the religious leaders can say anything, he goes into another story. He says, there was this lady, she had ten coins. And you understand, these ten coins were something these ladies wore around their head. It allowed the world to know that they were still virgins, that they were available. They were very significant in this day and time. The Bible says she loses one of the coins. Now, don't miss this. She still has nine of them. But she lost one of them. The Bible says she stops everything and begins to look for the one coin She lights a candle and begins to sweep the floor and doing whatever she can until she finds the one coin. And when she finds the one coin, she calls all the neighbors around her and says, man, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. And and then the religious leader reflects, blah, blah, blah. And he says, hey, hey, dude had two sons. He had two sons. He had an older son and a younger son. And the younger son went to the dad and said, give me all my inheritance where I can go off and do what I want to do. And the dad did it, and the younger son went off, and he squandered everything that was given to him. This ain't part of the sermon, but the more you enable your kids, the more they'll squander it. Just saying. The more you enable your kids, the less they'll be ready for adulthood. That's why some of you have 40-year-old children who act like they're 15. Oh, did I say that? The Bible says that the oldest son stayed and he worked the field and he did what he was supposed to do. He was the good son, the good son. I don't have time to get into all that today. But the Bible says the father would watch off in the distance day after day after day waiting for the younger son to come home. And eventually the younger son got to a point in his life where he lost everything and thought to himself, and I'm going to break this story down more as we go, I I need to go home. He said, I can go home and be a servant at my father's house and live better than I'm living now. And so he went home, and the Bible says that when he started on his way home, the father saw him off in the distance and ran to him. Because you can always go home. He said, what's the moral of those stories? The moral of the stories was this. As the religious leaders of the day were mocking Jesus and saying, man, look at him. He hangs out with the sinners, and he hangs out with the tax collectors. Or, hey, they go to Action Church, and they hang out with the addicts. And they hang out with those with drinking problems. And they hang out with those that have been divorced. And they hang out with those that act like this and do this or whatever sin we want to classify as sin. Jesus said, hey, I didn't come for the already found. I came for those that are lost. I'm going to get into this here in a couple of weeks, but let me make this very clear. We didn't start Action Church for the already convinced. The last thing Cherokee County needed was another church. Someone invited me to their church the other day. I thought it was awesome. They didn't know who I was. They said, hey, do you go to church somewhere? I said, I, I kind of do. They said, man, I'd love for you to come visit our church. I said, man, I hate church. Oh, why? 
I said, man, I just don't like it. And I didn't want to get into it, but I said, I don't like church. I said, I hate church. Canton didn't need another church. But it did need a place that was creating an environment where those sinners, which you are, oh, and I am, and we are, can come and not be judged on our social standing, our skin color, our sexual preference, what exactly we believe and we don't believe, where they could just come and realize that there is a God who loves them and home is always open. That's why Action Church exists. (laughs) But over and over and over, three stories, one message, that which is lost is more important than that which is found in the moment. And it's not that that which is found is not important, but that which is found is already found. And I love this story of the the lost son, and we're going to focus on that today because it's the story of coming home. And it's the story that each and every one of us have been there before. Some of you were there now. Some of you are younger and you've left home and you're just now starting to wander back. Some of you are older and you've left home. And you're still too stubborn to come back. I've learned that the older you get, the more prideful you get. We begin to wallow in our discomfort more because we've adapted to it longer. We've been dysfunctional for 30 years, so why should we change? Because you've been dysfunctional for 30 years. We become comfortable in our discomfort. But as I read this story, I see some things that show the power of sin. Make no mistake about it today. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. So guess what that means today? You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. How's that for a feel-good message today? I I know you're used to watching your TV preacher who talks to you and tells you a cute little joke. And tells you that it's all going to be okay and God loves you and God does love you. Make no mistake about it. But the reality is because we're sinners, we need a God who loves us. If we weren't sinners, we wouldn't need a God. But imperfect things can't make it to a perfect place. And there's some of you today that have wandered far from home. There's some of you that in the future will wander far from home And I just want to remind you today that you can always come home. You simply just have to shut up and come home. I I think that first part's so key. You got to shut up. Quit thinking you have all the answers. Quit justifying why you're in that situation. Quit thinking you got it worse than everyone else. Quit telling everyone your sob story because the reality is nobody cares. We got our own sob stories. Just shut up. Quit making excuses and come home. First thing I see in this story, we're going to get done because, man, that food is smelling good. 
Look, I saw macaroni and cheese out there. Listen, I saw banana pudding out there. You know the food's going to be good when Sierra Westrick tells you, she, she don't cook. She ain't like girly like that. She says she made banana pudding. David, is it good? Man. They said Sierra, she said like she cooks once every five years and it's that good. They get excited. The whole family comes. They didn't come to hear me. They didn't come because one of the kids are getting baptized. They came because of banana pudding today. I saw all kinds of stuff. See, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Let me confess something to you. The, if there's one negative of pastoring this type of church, a more kind of newer church full of younger people that maybe didn't grow up in church, is I get worried sometimes that maybe y'all don't understand the power of the potluck dinner. Because, <laughs> listen, I, I listen, there's a lot I think the Baptist church does wrong. There's a lot I think the old Methodist church do wrong. There's a lot I think the old charismatic churches do wrong. But let me tell you, they know how to eat. And if you don't go there for any, I mean, like when they build, I always think it's funny you pass these little country churches and the church is about the biggest this stage. But then they got a lean-to behind the building full of just picnic tables. The church holds 50, but the picnic tables holds 450. Because when they eat, they eat. So I was pleased today when the food started coming in. I didn't see anything bought from Ingalls or KFC. It looked like it was all homemade. And even those that wasn't homemade, I could tell y'all put in containers where it looked homemade. I was proud of y'all today. I'm ready to eat. But we got to get through this message. We got to break down some things that we see in this story of the prodigal son. The first thing we see is we see a, a very harsh request. A very harsh request. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided the property between them. Now you need to understand something here. The father has not died, yet the son is asking for his portion of the inheritance. Here's what you also need to understand. That was his right. As the younger son, he was entitled to one-third of everything the father had. He was due one third of it, and he could even ask for it before the father died. It was kind of faux pas for the day. It was kind of lack of class to ask for it. (laughs) But he was essentially telling the father, I I wish you were already dead. Go ahead and give me what's mine. And and I noticed the phrasing. He said, the younger father said to me, give me. Sin will always focus on yourself. Give me. When we're dealing with alcoholism, we're dealing with it because it's all about us. When we're dealing with drug abuse, it's because it's all about us. When we're dealing with anger issues, it's because it's all about us. When we're dealing with whatever sin that it is, lying, cheating, whatever it is you want to throw onto it, it's because we think life revolves around us. Give me. You want to head down the wrong path? Start focusing on you and nobody else. He said, give me. His life is all wrapped up in him. And notice what the father does. The father's gracious. Here's the problem that we don't understand about God sometimes. 
God will give you exactly what you asked for. I don't understand why God allows this to happen because so many times you ask for it. He's not a puppet master up there. He will give you exactly what you asked for. He could have refused the son. He could have kicked the son out, but he doesn't. He merely does what the son asked him to do. And the Bible says he divided his property among them. He knew it wasn't the best thing for the son. How many of you had children and they've headed down a path that you knew was not best for them? But all you can do sometimes is sit back and let them go down there and learn the hard way. That's the way the father was. You can't always shield them from their decisions. How many of you have teenage daughters? How many of you have a daughter that's marrying, a teenager or marrying age? I ain't going to ask for a show of hands because they might be here today, but they brought some sorry dude home one time, and you knew he wasn't the one. You knew he wasn't the one. But you also knew if you said he wasn't the one, it was going to push him more to him. I like David Wester back there, hey, amen. He got both his son-in-law sitting right beside him. He's like, he's like talking right now, pointing at him, everything. What I'm talking about. Father gave him what he wanted. The younger son wanted what the father could give him, but he didn't want the father. <laughs> because he was caught up in his own life. Give me, give me. Our selfishness always destroys us. I guarantee you, if you're having marital problems today, I can break down your marriage and one of you, if not both of you, it's because you're focused on give me and your selfishness. Whatever area of life that you're falling apart, whatever area of life you're trying to cover up through alcohol or drugs or sex or whatever it is, I guarantee you at the root of it is is selfishness because that's what sin is. When we go down that path, then we destroy our life. The father wanted a connection. The son just wanted what he could get out of it. We see the harsh reality of that sin. And then we see the hard reality. The hard reality, look what happens. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Jewish man going to feed pigs. The lowest of the low for this Jewish guy. He longed to fill the stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him nothing. Man. He set out on his own path. Bible said he had fun for a little bit. We'll get into that. But now he's hit rock bottom. Now he's at the end of his rope and the fun's gone. And the selfishness has left him empty. Ravi Zachariah said this. He said, sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. He said, it'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. That's a powerful quote. You know what's even more powerful about that quote? Go Google Ravi Zacharias after he died and see the sin that he was involved in. He he didn't make that statement because it preached. He made that statement because he was carrying that sin and that guilt around. 
You say, I don't think you ought to be quoting it. No, 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 no. I think it makes it that much more powerful. That he knew that which he spoke. I'm not excusing his sin. I'm just saying, I know that he never set off to go where he ended up at. I never did. You never did. I never knew someone who took their first sip of alcohol and said, man, I hope I destroy my life with alcohol. That's my goal. I hope that I have to drink so much that I literally have nothing in life and no one. I've never met a drug addict who said, man, I am going to just dabble with these drugs today because I hope that it ruins me. I hope I lose all my money and my job and my family and my health and my teeth and my hair and everything because that's my goal in life. I've never met a gambler who placed that first bet and said, you know what I hope happens today? With this one $5 bet, I hope I become so addicted to it that I throw everything away. Man, I've never met a guy who looks at porn the first time and says, you know what, I hope I get so addicted to porn that I can't even have a normal sex life because it doesn't live up to the fantasy that's on my 10-inch phone. Quiet today, ain't it? Okay. Some of you are like, I just came to see my buddy get baptized. I don't think I'm coming back. That's okay. You might not ever come back, but you're going to leave here today knowing what the Bible says about the choices you're making. And you need to understand somewhere you are headed down a path that has a very hard reality. The problem, the problem with sin is God will give you exactly what you wanted. He takes the Father's grace, the inheritance early, and he squanders it. The Bible says, can you put that verse back up, Xander, please? I know there was a lot of them. Can we put back up uh, verse 13? The younger son, he set off in this country where he squandered his wealth on wild living. Somebody say wild living. Anybody done any wild living in their life? Man, can I tell you a little secret about wild living? You ready? Ready? It's fun. It's a lot of fun. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. The Bible, how about this? You ready for this? Are you ready for this? The Bible even says it's fun. Do you know the Bible says there's pleasure in sin? Oh, for a season. For a season. It's fun at, at first. And then the reality comes along. That hard reality of our sin comes along. The broken relationships, the broken trust, the having nothing, the starting over and over, the physical toll that it takes on our body, the relationships that get destroyed between us and our parents, us and our children, us and our co-workers, and the reality of it sets in. It's fun for a season. And then reality sets in. (laughs) He lived in such a way that he gratified, he glorified himself. 
And in the process, he lost everything. (laughs) Did he have a good time? Oh, I'm sure he had a good time. I'm sure he had some stories to tell. He took a third of the inheritance. He probably had some wild nights and some good times and probably temporarily was the life of the party. Aren't you always the life of the party when you have something to give? Isn't it funny, though, when you're the life of the party and you finally hit rock bottom, very few of those people that were there during the party are there at the bottom? Suddenly you look around and you're in the pig pen. (laughs) Suddenly you look around and you're thinking to yourself, man, The pigs are eating better than I'm eating. We got our phone cut off over there. We good over there? Jerry, is it you? Turn your phone off. Damn, Jerry, we're having church, son. Quit surfing Facebook. Get off Tinder. And focus. Every church needs a Jerry. Someone's going to dance. Someone's going to bring frozen mac and cheese that's still frozen today. At least he brought it. Listen, at least the preacher brought what the preacher wanted, right? Someone who don't care what the preacher's talking about, just going to surf his phone the whole time. Get abused from the stage and show up week after week. I love Jerry. I'm going to go home. My wife's going to yell at me for yelling at Jerry. I can already feel the, 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 I'm just getting deeper in it. I'm, I'm trying to get out of it. I'm trying to move on. Man, can I get an amen when you know you've crossed the line and you just keep on on? <laughs> verse 14, put up verse 14. Reality starts to set in. He spent everything. He spent everything. There's a famine in the land and the Bible says you begin to be in need. Sin will put you where you're in need. Verse 15, look what it says. So he went and hired himself out. He has no choice. He said, I got to go hire myself out. He went from the top of the world and now being a day laborer where he's literally feeding pigs. As a Jewish person, they thought these were the most unclean things they'd ever seen. Verses 15 through 16, put up 16. Sin has brought him shame now. It's brought him suffering. It's brought him sadness. Let me make this very clear to you. As fun as sin is and how we love to hoop and holler and shout, yeah, it's fun! It always brings shame. It always brings sadness. It always brings suffering. And it always destroys in the end. We want instant gratification that we don't think of long-term ramifications. It's fun in the moment and I want what I want. And suddenly we've lost everything and we're clueless on why we've lost it all. Why no one wants anything to do with us. And so we go into excuse mode. We go into blame mode. We hit rock bottom, but we don't come to ourselves. And this is why the crossroads comes. This is the moment we've all been there. We've all set out on our own path. We've all had the consequences of sin. But then we see a humbling that happens in this man. There has to be a humbling in order to go home. And this is where I want to lock down today and focus on today because it's time for some of you to humble yourselves. The fact that you screwed up in sin doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a person. 
You want to go story with story? We'll go to Reformation, sit on the deck one day, and I'll go story for story with you on screw-ups. You're not special because you screwed up. And if you've out-screwed up me, I'll bring my father-in-law, and you and him can go story to story, and I guarantee you, you won't be able to match stories with him. You're not special because you screwed up. You didn't get a tougher lot in life than other people. You whiny, weak person. You simply set out on your own path. You made choices. And the humbling came for this man. And it was a turning point in his life. But sadly, this is where the crossroad happens. A lot of people never get to the humbling aspect. And therefore, they never come home. Look what the Bible says. God, I love how the Bible just lays it. He says, when he, when he came to his senses. That's a sermon right there. In the midst of his sin, in the midst of his screw-ups, in the midst of his poor decisions, in the midst of his hurts, habits, and hang-ups controlling his life, He simply came to his senses. It doesn't say he got a break. It doesn't say that all of a sudden someone offered to bail him out. It doesn't say someone excused his sin. It just said in the midst of feeding pigs and thinking that the pigs were eating better than him, he came to his senses He came to his senses. He said, there's got to be more to life than this. I can keep on doing what I've been doing and keep on getting what I've been getting. Or I can man the F up and come to my senses. No more excuses. No more whining. No more pity parties. No more wasting a day of my life, even though I've been doing this for 30 years, 40 years, 10 years, 5 years. He came to his senses and realized that his life was miserable because of his own doing. Seems so basic to me, but I've dealt with enough people in sin to realize it's not. Sin's powerful. Sin will blind you. Sin will, the Bible talks about sin as bondage. It is bondage. It's like you've been chained up. I know they're cute little cliches, but sin gets us to where we're comfortable in our discomfort. And and we're we're so used to doing life screwed up that we don't know how to do life healthy. But he came to his senses. The pain of staying the same became less than the pain of changing for this person. And he was willing to make the changes that was necessary. The Bible says, I don't even need these notes. Just let's do them. When he came to his senses, look what he did. Don't miss this. 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He didn't come. I will sit back and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. What's the next verse say, Xander? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me like one of your hired servants. Go back to about 17. We're done with notes. He came to his senses. But look what he said. He didn't come to his senses and expect everything to go back like it was. That's what some of you do. Some of you are in a marriage right now and you've screwed up in your marriage and you've been a crap husband for 10 years. You've come to realize you're a crap husband or a crap wife. Let's be equal crap people. (laughs) You come and confess and say, I'm sorry, forgive me, I want to work on this. But then you get mad that it doesn't immediately return to how you think it ought to be. He didn't say he came to a sentence and said, I'm going back to the father's house and he's going to make me a son again. He said, no, 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 no. I come to my senses. It was a humbling. He said, I'll just go back and be a servant. I'll go back and begin to earn my right again. I won't put a timetable on it. I said, I'm sorry. It all ought to be good. My wife uses this illustration. She says, so many people. Okay, she says, so me. I'm so many people. (laughs) Like a hurricane. You come through. Anybody ever experienced a hurricane? I've been to Florida during a hurricane. It's scary. They come through and it destroys everything. But here's the thing about a hurricane. It lasts about two or three hours. You know, the, when the hurricane's gone, it's more beautiful than it's ever been. Normally after the hurricane comes, there's not a cloud in the sky. Everything's calm and peaceful. Until you look around and realize that the hurricane still destroyed everything. Some of you think, man, the hurricane's gone, now the sun's back. No, 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 no. There's still consequences for the action. Things are destroyed. You're not willing to put the work in to rebuild those things. You're not willing to put the time in. You want to snap your finger because you think your mom, or you think your dad, or you think you're the kid, or you think you're the husband, or you think you're the wife, and you think, man, they ought to love me no matter what. No, 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 no. You came through with your sin, and you did damage with your sin. Thank God you came to your senses. But coming to your senses does not excuse what you did. Coming to your senses is the first step in you being able to rebuild what you destroyed. You lazy... Mm. I, I'm sick. Matter of fact, guys, because I know there's a lot of guys here that don't normally come to church... I'm going to ask you to be here next week. Next week's message is for all the men. I am on a man kick right now. Because we got a bunch of men who don't want to lead. They don't want to lead in our country. They don't want to lead in our homes. They sure don't want to lead in the church. Now, they'll talk about how they're the leader. Because they pee standing up. But knowing everybody knows their wife tells them what to do and they do what their wife says and they couldn't function without their wife because they don't have the testicular fortitude to actually lead. Oh, that's next week's sermon. I'm sorry. Some of you need to repent because that's your sin. You need to come to your senses. Uh, Try verse 20, Xander. So he got up. Guess what? 
It's not just enough to come to your senses. That's a good step. Man, I screwed up. I got to quit drinking. I got to quit doing drugs. I got to quit doing this. I got to quit doing that. I got to quit doing whatever. I got to quit being a jerk. But he got up and decided to take action on the talk that he was talking. I told you I'm sorry. Who cares? Take some action. I did good for a week. And the first chance you had not to do good, you didn't. Big deal. Goes back to our participation society. We want a trophy for doing good. Here's what you get for doing good. Respect. Love. Good relationships. If you need a pat on the back to do it, don't do it. He got up and went to his father when he came to himself. I can no longer live this way anymore. I can no longer function this way anymore. I'm going back to daddy. I'm going to confess that I messed up. I'm going to repent. And I'm just going to return to my father. And I'm going to fall and say, hey, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to restore this relationship. I'm going to restore it. He doesn't know what's going to happen when he got there. I had a guy tell me recently, he said, man, I need to go apologize to my wife, but I don't know what she'll do. Doesn't matter what she'll do. You need to go make amends. If she throws you out, she throws you out. If she begins to rebuild, she begins to rebuild. We don't do something based on the reaction that we're going to get. That's the problem. You, some of you repent because based on what you're going to get out of your repentance. Mm. This just preaches itself. He got up and went to his father. Now here's the powerful thing that makes it different between God and us as humans. We see a powerful reunion Look at verse 20 again. So he got up and he went to his father. While he was a long way off, his father saw him. You know why his father saw him? Because he was looking for him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. You need to understand the significance of this. In this day and time, this son should have ran to the father, fell at his feet, and tradition would have been the father turn his back and walk away. The father saw the son and ran to him, and he was filled with compassion. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. What's the next verse say? The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy because... You know what I dig about this? The father runs to the son and shows compassion for him. At that moment, the son could have stopped. But he completed the coming to his senses. He completed the act of repentance. Even though he didn't need to, the father had already shown forgiveness. The father had already shown restoration. The father had already shown compassion. The father had already shown love. But this son was so humbled in his sin that he felt like he needed to go through the process. Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22 says, but the father said to his servants, quick, quick, quick. He just cuts him off, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandal on his feet. 
bring the fatty calf, kill, let's have a feast and let's celebrate for the son of mine was dead and he's alive, he was lost and he's found and so they begin to celebrate. Here's what I'm telling you today. Some of you are out there lost in your sin and God's waiting for you to come home. You will never begin the process on a natural level of restoration till you receive restoration on a supernatural level. The only way some of you will rebuild earthly relationships is to restore your heavenly relationship. Because that's the kind of power that's going to take for it to happen. Some of you will never have the relationship you want to have with whoever it is you want to have them because you're trying to do it in the natural and there's been too much hurt and too much damage to restore that relationship. I'm telling you, it cannot happen outside of God. See, we leave the God out of it. We think, man, I hurt my wife, I hurt my coworker, I hurt this person. No, you severed the relationship with God. As you begin to rebuild with God, if God so chooses, he will begin the restoration process at an earthly level. And it might take a day, it might be instantaneous. It might take a month. It might take years. We were cleaning the church up yesterday, and some guy came to me and said, man, it's been a great week, Pastor. I said, has it? I said, what's going on? He said, my daughter and I talked. I don't know anything about this guy. I said, you and your daughter talked? He said, yeah, we ain't talked in years. I said, over what? Political views. I said, man, is there ever a relationship with your child over political views? Now, but the minute I said that, I felt this prick in my own heart. Because I was kind of like you, we all groaned over that. But yet people sever their relationship with their kids over all kinds of things. Severing your relationship with your child over alcohol is just as stupid. Severing your relationship with your child over drugs is just as stupid. Severing your relationship over gambling is just as stupid. Severing your relationship over lying is just as stupid. Severing your relationship over anger and temper and insecurity and fear and jealousy or whatever other stupid thing. I said stupid thing. It's stupid. It's dumb. Son of mine was dead. He was alive. He's lost. He's found. And they begin to celebrate. Some of you need to come home to the Father today. Men, some of you need to start leading your family. Let me preface that. I didn't say dictating your family. You got to walk around and say you're the leader. Guess what, guys? You're not the leader. But your wife's looking to you to lead. It's time we started having some men be men. I think it's one of the huge things wrong with our country right now. I'm going to break that down for you next week. Matter of fact, everybody look around. If there's a guy that's not here next week, you know why. (laughs) I'm done sugarcoating stuff for you. Ladies, if your your husband goes home today, the guy you came to church with today, and he talks crap about me, says, I don't like him, he's arrogant, he's cocky. No, 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 he's just under conviction. And that's his manipulative way of not wanting to face what God's called him to be in his life. 
The biggest thing in neutering men has been the church. We'll talk about that next week too. There's a powerful reunion. Some of you need to have a reunion with God today. He, he found restoration. I, 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 I Bring the robe. Let's cover up that stench of the pigs. Put that ring back on his finger. That ring was a family ring. It gave him back his privileges instantly. <laughs> Give him shoes. The shoes gave him position. He, he found rejoicing. They threw a party over him. All because, don't miss this, he shut up and came home. I wonder how many of you today just need to shut up. Here's what someone's going to do. They're going to corner me today. But I heard your message and it really convicted me. But, and you're going to start to verbally vomit all the crap that's happened to you in life. Let me say this as lovingly as possible. I don't care. Again, your crap in life doesn't make you special. It makes you human. (laughs) Everybody here can share crap stories with you. They don't wallow in it. Or you can stay in the pig pen, looking at the pigs, thinking the pigs got it better than you. Or you can come to your senses. (laughs) Let's pray.